chapter 5. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last, last week. We're on actually part number 6. Can you believe that already? This series is already part number 6. The name of the series, of course, is Effective, Powerful Prayers. And, and all, these, all these sermons are on our website. You can download them, listen to them, help, pass them on to somebody else, forward them to somebody else, free of charge. Amen. And so we've talked about, number one, praying God's word. Number two, we talked about understanding the power of righteousness. Number three, we talked about praying in the name of Jesus. Okay, I'm not going to go through all this, but just mentioning, we talked number four about uh, fellowshipping with God as the parent of real faith. Amen. And today we're going to pick up this part right here uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Are you ready with me? Hallelujah. Peter says here, you know, of course, he was one of the closest disciples, Jesus, Peter, James, and John. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, let me stop right here, because some of the stuff I'm going to share today is, is actually familiar territory for what you've heard before. But don't let the familiarity of a verse or two throw you this morning. Okay. Uh, Peter even said in one of, his, one of his letters, he said, though you know these things, I'm going to bring it back to your remembrance. I'm going to stir you up by way of remembrance, by pure, your pure minds, by way of remembrance. Amen. So sometimes we need to hear the same thing over and over again, but it'll come across differently. It'll come across in a different light. It'll come across with greater revelation. Now, Paul, or not Paul, Peter said, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, I'm going to ask you a quick question in verse 6. Whose responsibility is it to humble ourselves? Is it God's or is it ours? Okay, it's ours, isn't it? Now, if God would humble us, he would have to humiliate us, and he's not in the business of doing that. Neither should we. <laughs> I mean, you know, it would be real easy to humiliate some people, right? How many know your flesh would enjoy that sometimes? <laughs> I can make it real hard on them right now. You know what I'm saying? But you know what? The wisdom of God will say, don't do that. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So number two, notice that God's hand is not weak. God's hand is not what? It's not weak. The mighty hand of God. So we know that we're to humble ourselves. Number two, we know that God's hand is mighty. Number three, that he may exalt you in due time or lift you up. Now, James, in his letter, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up. That's the same thing as exalt. You see, God is not opposed to you being exalted. He just wants to do the exalting. Okay? The Bible says if you exalt yourself, you'll be abased. Right? If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Amen? Now, verse 6 is really a powerful verse right here. And this is what we're going to talk about. This next step right here to effective, powerful prayers is this, if you're right, <laughs> excuse me, if you're taking notes, is living life without worry and fear. Living life without worry and fear. One more time. Living life without worry and fear. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up or exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. 
Now, one of the greatest ways that we can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God is by practicing verse 7, casting all of your cares. Amen? Casting all. Say all. Are you all with me this morning? Everybody with me? All right. Kelly, you want to drop that heat down a little bit there if you can. Casting how much of your cares? All. All. Casting all your cares on him, for he careth for you. Now, the Amplified says, I'll just quote it here, casting the whole of your care, all of your anxieties, all of your worries, all of your concerns, once and for all on him because he cares for you affectionately. See, God's affectionate with you and cares about you watchfully. Do you ever think in terms of God being affectionate with you? Right? You know, it's okay to be affectionate with your family members. How I many you know what I'm talking about? It's okay to show affection. God made us that way. He is affectionate with us. Listen, if Jesus Christ were in the flesh right now, guess what he would do with you if he saw you? He would reach his hands out, come over and give you a big bear hug. Hallelujah. Amen. Are you all with me now? Okay. He cares about you effectually and about you watchfully. Now, the Amplified, I like it, says, casting the whole of your cares, all of your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. Amen. Now, that's something that we have to do, casting. Casting. It's the same Word used when the fishermen cast their nets. Same word in the Greek. They were fishermen, were casting their nets. Other places where they threw a saddle on a donkey, they cast it on. Amen? And where the people cast branches before Jesus, remember that? Palm Sunday, right? It means to hurl, to throw, but it's not just a light throw it's a forceful throw much like a pitcher on the mound would throw a fastball he doesn't just lob it okay he throws it with force and with strength and with speed and this is the same word that we see right here casting in other words it's an act of violence but it's a good act of violence because that care doesn't belong to us how many of you wake up in the morning and care comes knocking on your door. Worry, concern comes knocking. It comes to all of us in certain measures. Sometimes, it's like Brother Moore always said, the devil likes to use the polyp effect. He doesn't just come with one thing at a time. He comes with four or five different things. You know, and you're having to like juggle. You know what I'm saying? It's like a juggling act. You're trying to hold this down, hold that down, hold that down. And it can overwhelm you at times. But he says right here, casting all... The casting of your cares is the greatest act, one of the greatest acts of humility for a believer. Casting. Humble yourselves. How? How do I do that? Casting all your cares, worries, anxieties over on the Lord. Well, how many times do I have to do that, Brother Keith? Well, it may be several times a day. There have been times in my life, you know, and, and where things, uh, uh, and even recently certain things were 
trying to plague my mind about certain areas and so forth, you know. And I just have to see, nope, that's not my care. It's on the Lord. It's over on the Lord. The care's in the Lord's hands. Nope, I'm refused because you'll be walking along and a worried thought, an anxious thought will hit your mind about some given, some whatever. And it may not necessarily be you personally. It might be somebody else that you're concerned about. And that worry and that fear will try to grip you. You can be, uh, you know, trying to rest in the middle of the night and you wake up suddenly and all of a sudden these thoughts are racing through your mind. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Right? Well, the best thing we can do, the greatest act of humility that we can do is release that care into the Lord's hands because when he has it, then we don't. Amen? Casting all of your cares upon him. Now, look at the next verse, verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil. Who's the adversary? The devil. As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, it gives the impression sometimes that if you read just verse 8, it kind of gives the impression that the devil's just lurking in the shadows, just waiting to jump on you at any time, and you have no control over that. That is not true. He looks for opportunities. He looks for avenues. He looks for doors that he can enter into our life. But if we shut that particular door, he cannot enter in. Now, in this situation right here, he's basically saying, Peter, if you're in context, he's saying the people, the Christian folks that don't cast their cares on the Lord become open prey for the devil to attack them. Okay? Because he says, casting the whole your cares, all your worries, all your anxieties. For the devil walks, you know, be sober, be vigilant, you know. In other words, have a sound mind. Because he looks for opportunities to pounce on people. And I'll say this again. The only way that the devil can actually take advantage of us and pounce on us, so to speak, right, or devour us, is when we don't give our cares to God. That's the only way he can do that. Because what is care? What is worry? It's fear. It's fear, isn't it? The only weapon the enemy has for a few thousand years now, the only weapon that he has is fear. Now, one of the presidents, I forget which one it was, said, the only thing we need to fear is fear itself. Well, we don't even need to be afraid of fear. (laughs) Amen. I know what he's trying to say. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. You know what I'm saying? But the fact is, fear is satanic-inspired. It's satanically inspired. Fear, phobia, phobos, that's where the word is, right? Fear of, really, the ultimate fear, you think about it, is the fear of death. And the Bible says Jesus delivered us from the fear of death. Why are people afraid of heights? They're not afraid of heights. They're afraid of falling off and dying. Right? Why are people afraid of poisonous snakes and spiders? And they're not afraid of them. They're afraid of the end result. Okay? It all comes down to one thing, the fear of death. But a Hebrew says he's delivered us from the fear of death. Fear has bondage. We've been delivered from the spirit of fear. Actually, for the believer... We have nothing to fear 
when it comes to death. We've already done all the dying we're going to do. Paul even said, I've been crucified with Christ. Amen. Jesus suffered death like no other individual. He tasted death for every man, the Bible says. You don't have to taste death. Well, does that mean that we're not going to die? Well, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The very second millisecond that your spirit leaves your body, you're instantly in the presence of the greatest joy and the greatest peace that there ever has been. And you'll be like, I just left my body. <laughs> you know, I feel so good. You know what I'm saying? That's what we have to look forward to. Now, of course, the Bible teaches us long life and preservation and living long and strong on this earth, and we go for that. I'm going for that. Amen? And we want to live out the number of our days on this earth with longevity, with peace, and with joy, and fulfill the will of God. Praise the Lord. I don't know about you, but in these last days, the Holy Ghost is speaking to the church. He's speaking to us. He's putting a grit on the inside of us, a tenacity on the inside of believers that are following after him. The scripture tells us, if any man have ears, let him hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Do you think that the Holy Spirit is mute or dumb that he can't speak? Like Paul said to the church of Corinth, you follow these dumb idols. You know, in other words, dumb doesn't mean like stupid. It means they can't speak. Okay? But the Holy Spirit is not dumb. He speaks. He speaks to his people. He speaks to his church. And he's always speaking by way of encouragement. He's always speaking by way of this is going to turn out good right here. He's going to hold you all the way through, thick and thin. Even in your darkest hour, even when you feel the oppression of the enemy coming against you, there's a spirit of victory that's on the inside of you called the Holy Spirit. And he won't let you just sit there and wallow in that stuff. He will speak to you and say, come up. It's better than this. I have a plan for you. This is going to work out. You see, the Holy Spirit will cause every pessimist to become an optimist. There is no such thing as a believer in Jesus Christ who is a pessimist, a true believer. Why? Because we trust in the living God. <laughs> Amen? Jesus said, in the world, you're going to see tribulation. You're going to experience that. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Amen. Psalmist David said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver us out of half of them. Oh. No, it says all of them. Oh. Amen? Yeah. Now, if people want to go ahead and tribulate, let them tribulate. Amen? Amen? But I'm not going to join that party. Praise the Lord. Amen. James says it like this. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Amen. Count it all joy. It may not be joy, but count it as joy. Because how? Because we know the outcome. We already know the outcome. We are victorious right now. Amen. Now, I know you've heard preachers say, you know, I've read the back of the book, we win. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's, that's talking about future, you know. We win right now. 
First John chapter 5 says, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? You are an overcomer. Every man, woman, boy, and girl that believes on Jesus, you are an overcomer. No matter what comes against you, no matter sickness, disease, or oppression, or financial, whatever the case is, we are overcomers, and we declare that, we proclaim that in the face of apparent defeat. Man, I feel the fire of God on me this morning. Whew. thought I was going to teach a nice little lesson here this morning. <laughs> but I feel the fire of the Holy Ghost, amen? You know, that shouldn't intimidate us. You should be like, bring it on, brother, just jump in. <laughs> Don't put the brakes on, just jump right in. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, I've preached in other churches through the, in, the, in the past. I remember one time I preached, I was invited to preach a friend of ours years and years ago. And they were, they were preaching, the actual, the guy that was the pastor, he doesn't pastor anymore, but he lived, he had a barn, he lived on a farm, and he had a barn, and he turned the barn into a church. It was an actual barn, and I, I, they were preaching it. I preached in it, you know. It was kind of a cool building. That's about it. Because... When I went to that church, there was absolutely zero order. There was no order. There was no peace. And as I am preaching, people are getting up, walking around, having conversations with each other while I'm trying to minister the Word of God. They're laughing at each other, carrying on conversations while I'm trying to minister the Word. I literally almost stopped, closed my Bible and said, I'm out of here. You guys do not respect God. You do not respect the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, that church no longer exists, thank God, because they had no reverence. That's the last time I ever spoke in that church. And I can tell you this, they didn't like what I was saying. I thought, why did they even invite me? You know, it was through the, somebody in my, my church at the time was a relative, you know. Remember that, Lynn? I told you about that. <laughs> and I brought along two of my members at that time, you know. I said, my God, I never want to come back here again, you know. It was like a three-ring circus, okay? But they had no reverence for the Holy Spirit. They had no respect for the Holy Spirit. And God will not visit a place like that. He wants to. He desires to. But there is something in them, in the leadership, even in the people in that church. It starts at the head, right? They didn't have reverence. They didn't have respect for the things of God. Needless to say, he didn't show up there. And it was really frustrating as a minister because I have a reverence. For, I'm not saying I've arrived. I haven't. But I have a reverence for God and a love for God. And when people outwardly disrespect, you know, the things of God. I mean, they jump up in the middle of the service, go back there and get some coffee, come up there and start talking to their neighbor and stuff like while, we're, while I'm trying to minister the word of God. I almost stopped and said, uh, are you done yet? Okay. <laughs> Amen. Well, when we listen, I don't know where I was going with this, but when we listen to the Holy Spirit, He is the Spirit of encouragement. He is the Spirit of victory. He is the Spirit of encouragement. The Bible says that Barnabas is, was the son of consolation or encouragement. That was Barnabas. What made Barnabas Barnabas? It was the Holy Spirit on the inside. 
The Lord's never going to come to you and say, it's too late, give up, quit. You know what I'm saying? It's not too late. Praise the Lord. Now man will say, it's too late, there's no hope. But God says, no, 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 you're just beginning, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. See, the Spirit of God will turn a pessimist into an optimist because it's not just the power of positive thinking. It goes way beyond that. It's just when God controls our spirit and God controls our minds, that will control our actions. We are products of what we think upon. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If we think defeat, we'll act defeated. If we think victory, we'll act victorious. Hallelujah. And of course, when you act victorious, a lot of times you'll get persecuted. People say, I don't understand that. They should be depressed right now. Praise the Lord. Now it says right here, the, the, the devil, he, he, he walks about seeking whom he may devour. But again, he cannot devour a believer that's casting their cares upon the Lord. Now look at 1 Peter 5, 7 again in the Amplified. It says, casting the whole of your cares, all of your worries, all of your anxieties, all of your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Well, I like the Amplified right there. Isn't that good? He cares. Say he cares. He cares. Now what that really means is casting your cares off because casting all your cares on the Lord because He loves you. That's what that means. Other translations will bear that out. We cast our cares upon the Lord because He loves us, because He cares for us. Am I the only person, but did you ever think, you know, when I was first saved, I thought, because you try to figure things out with your mind, you know what I mean? And there's no way that you can figure out the Godhead with your mind. There's no way. In my mind used to think, how can God listen to all the people in the world at the same time? Am I the only one who ever felt that way? Isn't he busy taking care of all the nations and all the people? So who am I? Why, why is my situation important? Well, see, the thing that makes God God is he's able to give you undivided attention, each person, and not be divided in his attention. That's what makes him him. That's what makes God God. I'm sure you've all experienced when you talk to somebody and their mind's not there and their eyes are drifting off somewhere else, they're looking at their watch, they're not really paying attention. God has never done that to one of his kids. You have his undivided attention. God is not distracted, ever. He's able to handle the whole thing at one time and stay cool <laughs> and not get frazzled. Praise the Lord. That's the kind of God that we serve. Now, um, I was thinking about this because where did Peter come up with this phrase, casting your care on the Lord? I think we found it. Let's go over here to Psalm 55 for a second here. Psalm 55, real quickly with me here. And we're talking about effective, powerful prayers. And this, this next step that we're talking about here is living life without worry and without fear. It is absolutely, totally possible for every believer to live from here on till Jesus comes back to live without yielding to fear and worry. And we'll, we'll get a little more in the detail here as we go. But we see here in Psalm 55 verse 22, David said this, Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. 
He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. You see that? Now, doesn't that sound a lot like what Peter said? Cast your cares upon the Lord. Well, cares are burdens, right? He says, cast thy burden upon the Lord. Now, Kel, could you bring that out in the Amplified there? Look at this in the Amplified. It says, cast your burdens on the Lord, releasing the weight of it. Oh, I like that. And he will sustain you. He will never allow the consistently righteous to be moved, made to slip, fail, fall, or fail. Now, that's, here's a key word, releasing the care, the weight of it. Cast your burden, releasing the weight of it. Amen. Now, you've probably heard this story before, but I'm going to repeat it again briefly. Many years ago, probably going back 25 years now, I was watching the Travel Channel. I was just flipping through my television trying to find something worthy to watch, and I could, couldn't find anything. Pretty sad when there's over 200 some channels, you can't even find one station. You know what I mean? And I came across the Travel Channel and I found something kind of interesting here and it caught my attention. And uh, there was a, a, a story that they put on there about uh, this gentleman that had a one engine, single engine plane that lived in a, a district, actually a town in Arizona called Carefree, Arizona. It's a town north of Phoenix, okay? It's still there to this day. And, uh, and I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it. I mean, I watched this. I saw it for, it wasn't, you know, passed out. I saw it with my own eyes, heard it with my own ears. And this guy put out a, you know, a memo, so to speak, to the people, you know, that they were to write their cares down and give it to him. And he put them in like a, like a Santa Claus sack. That's how big it was. I saw it. And he would fly up in his single-engine plane fly over carefree Arizona and release those care, those papers over the town and that was supposed to take care of people's cares. To my utter amazement, people were dumb enough to send him in so it filled up the entire sack. You know, it's like a list for Santa Claus. You know what I'm saying? And they, people actually wrote in, they wrote their cares and they gave it to him and here he would float, you know, fly up over the city, dump it out. This is many years ago, right? Now, I'm sure there's ordinances against that now. But all he would do is litter the city and pollute the city. That's all it would do. And yet people had the misconception that somehow that was going to take care of their problems at home. That's the furthest thing from the truth. All right? He just made a gimmick out of it, you know, and got money for it as well. People send him in money, you know. Bless their hearts. And when I, I saw that, and I thought, isn't that interesting? He lives in Carefree, Arizona, so people write in these requests, and they actually did it. I saw the, the, the sack. It, I mean, it was full. Little pieces of paper filled up a sack. It takes a lot of paper to do that. And they showed him up there in the plane, and open it up, psh, and there it goes, all the paper, okay? I guarantee you this, not one of those problems was solved by that pilot doing that. Not one problem was solved. But I know one God that says, cast your burdens on me, and I will sustain you. I will uphold you. Hallelujah. You see, you have to understand, brother and sister in the Lord, when you give your cares to the Lord, you can lay your head down on the pillow, go to sleep, and while you're sleeping, God is working. 
The Bible says God neither sleeps nor slumbers. We have to sleep because we're human. But while we're resting, while we're sleeping, God is working. Amen. Hallelujah. Because when we release it into his hands, he's able to take it and work on it while you're counting sheep in the middle of the night. Amen. Are you with me? Casting your burdens. I like that, you know, David said it, casting your burdens. I believe that's where Peter got this. You see, the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to bring all things to our remembrance. You know, and back then, the New Testament wasn't written yet. The only uh, Bible, so to speak, that they had back then, at this point, was the Old Testament. So the Holy Spirit designated one scripture pulled it out for Peter and said, casting your cares upon the Lord. He was thinking about Psalm 55, verse 22. Casting all your cares, all your burdens, all your anxieties on him, for he cares about you affectionately and over you watchfully. Praise the Lord. My, uh, my, my earthly father, who's with Jesus, you know, for about 10 years now, you know, I made mention of him several times before, but he was a Mr. Fix-It man. He, 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 he was especially good at small engines. And so word got out, you know, in our neighborhood, you know, for particularly this time of year, you know, when grass cutting season came in, you know, and, uh, and people's mowers were broken or not working properly, you know, and they would somehow find out his phone number. And I'll tell you, our whole back porch and patio, it was lined up with mowers. He got to the point he couldn't do it anymore because it was just too much. But... My father, if I broke anything, I would take it to him because he knew how to fix it. It may not look real pretty after he does it, but it's fixed. Okay? Whether it's a bicycle, a piece of machinery, whatever the case is, he just had a real knack for fixing stuff like that. So I would, I would you know, as, as a young child, as a young man, I would be eager to, Dad, can you fix it? Sure, I'll take care of it. You know what I mean? And somehow he would fix it, Right? Well, he was limited, like any human being would, like any earthly father would be. He was limited in his knowledge. So there were certain things he couldn't fix. You couldn't take him a computer. Of course, they didn't exist then. He wouldn't know the first thing about it, right? But our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father knows how to fix everything that's broken. Everything. Literally. He knows how to fix broken relationships. He knows how to fix every single thing that there is that's broken in our lives. Things that we think are unfixable, if that's a word, he's able to fix it. Okay? But we have to bring it to him. I think about what Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. He says, come unto me. He didn't say, run from me. No, he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Take my yoke upon me, on you, and learn of me. Well, we're learning of him today. What kind of God do we have? What kind of Jesus do we have? He's personal, and he wants us to bring our cares unto him. You know, many times uh, through the years that I, I practice fellowshipping with God, communicating with Him, speaking with Him. And I, it's, the, it's the most exciting thing in the world to me. Man, I love talking to my family. I enjoy my family. I love my family. 
but I love talking to Jesus. <laughs> Amen? Because sometimes my family's not with me. They're with me in heart, but the Spirit of God's with me everywhere I go. Amen? And I can talk to Him. I can commune with Him and fellowship with Him. And it pleases. And I've heard the Lord you know, minister to me through the years sometimes. He says, Keith, bring that to me. Bring that to me. Bring it to me. Bring that burden to me. Bring that care to me. I'm able to take, I want you to have peace right now. You want to know why you have a troubled heart right now? Because you're not trusting me, Keith. He says, but give that burden to me. Give that care to me. I'll take care of that. Okay? How do you do that? We know what it says, but how do you actually do that? We verbally do it. That's how we throw it. We verbally do it. We say out loud, Father, I give this care to you right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the Lord, the Lord didn't make you or me to be able to go through life. Now, you think people that are rich, you know, they don't have any burdens. Some of them have even worse burdens. You think if they just have enough money, I won't have all these burdens. Well, there's other things as well. There can be a guy that's, or a girl, whatever, you know, that's, extremely wealthy and rich, but they're concerned about their physical body. Amen? Now, it's, it's amazing how you can be, you know, have faith in one area, but fear in another area. Brother, I heard Brother Copeland use this example. He said, you get a bull rider, for example. He's from Texas. And he said, this bull rider will get out there seemingly no fear, fear whatsoever. Get on a brain of bull, you know, this big, strong, 2,500 pound bulls that can tear you to shreds and he can get on there without any fear and ride that bull over and over again get thrown off you know and not have any fear whatsoever yet that same bull rider will go home and be worried sick over his finances or worried sick over his physical body so you can put down fear in one area but you can have faith in another area but God wants us to have faith in every single area as far as trusting Him. Trust God with your physical body where it is concerned because He cares for your body more than you care for your body. Amen. Trust God for your finances. He cares more for your finances than you care for them. Trust God with your children for He loves them more than you love them. He loves your kids. He loves them. He loves your grandkids. But when was the last time that you ever worried yourself into better health? When was the last time you ever worried money into your bank account? When was the last time you ever worried your kids back to the kingdom of God? It doesn't exist. But trusting Him will. If all God was interested in was just our eternal salvation, that's good. And he left the rest up to us to suffer through. What kind of a God would that be? Yeah, I paid for the price. You know, you can go to heaven when you die. You know, that's good. Praise the Lord for that. That's big, right? But why would he want us to go through life just suffering and needlessly suffering over over and over again and be full of fear? That's not the kind of God that we serve. Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ is the perfect example of a man that came to the earth became flesh and blood, left heaven, came to the earth, and lived for three and a half years among his disciples. He had 33 and a half years on the earth, but three and a half of those years were his ministry. So 30 years 
were preparation years for a three and a half year ministry and Jesus completed everything. He said, it is finished. I've done all that you told me to do and it took only three and a half years. And he even said in John 17, he says, Lord, the disciples and the people that you gave me, I love them up until the very end. That's what he said in John 17. I cared for them to the very end, including Judas. He loved him. Do you know Jesus loved Judas? He knew what he was going to do. He knew the secrets of his heart. He knew he was going to betray him. But at the Last Supper, Jesus washed his feet too. Think about that. Would that be easy for us to do if, you know, you know the guy's going to betray you to death and you're going to wash his feet? Man, our flesh would be looking for a nail to punch into his feet or a knife or something. But Jesus said, I've completed the mission. Jesus loved them up until the very end. Why do I say that? Because Jesus is committed to you up until the very end. He's committed to you to love you. That's love and action, the grace of God. <laughs> Praise God. And I, I tell you, it's just understanding the love that he has towards us. Perfect love casteth out fear, John says. Perfect love, in other words, perfect understanding of his love for us eliminates fear. It's not just perfect love as far as us walking in love cast out fear. I used to interpret it that way. But it's actually we loved him because he first loved us. It's all in context. Perfect understanding of God's love for me will eliminate fear because if I know he loves me, he's going to walk arm in arm with me. He's going to take care of those needs that come up. Amen? Amen. And if I have, you know, a pain or a sickness or any symptom that tries to come against my body, immediately the Spirit of God will say, I got this. You're going to be okay. I've got this covered. I'm going to take care of you. Amen. Amen? Now understand this. If there are changes, alterations, that, that physically speaking, if we need to make changes in anything in the natural, whether it be things we're ingesting, okay, the Holy Spirit will show us. He'll, he'll put it in you. Stay away from that or eat this or drink this. That will help you. That will hurt you. And if we're open to it, the Holy Ghost will show us. Amen? It's not just eating organically that guarantees your health. After all, all the food in the New Testament in Jesus' time was all organic. The Bible says, yet there was every sickness and every disease among the people. Am I against that? No. Eat the best you can. Drink the best you can. Right? But that's not where our trust is in. Our trust is in God. Our trust is in God. Amen. People can have organic and eat healthy stuff, but they're still full of fear because disease is really spiritual in its cause. Dis-ease. The devil tries to put the dis in there. He wants, God wants you to have ease, but the devil brings a dis, like a disconnect. Are you with me? Amen. Go to Philippians 4 real quick here. Philippians chapter 4. Let's read this uh, in the New Living Translation there, Kel. The NLT. Is this encouraging this morning? 
Thank you, Lord. As we finish this, I'll show you how to do this. Praise the Lord. All right. Uh, Paul, again, writing to the church of Philippi. Now, I wanted to read this in the NLT because it's uh, a little bit more clear. It says, don't worry about anything. That's what he says. Don't worry about anything. Is it possible to live that way? Yeah. With the Lord's help, yeah. Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now the King James says, do not fret or have anxiety about anything. Amen? But in everything by prayer and supplication. He says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. See, if I'm, if I'm praying about things that are troubling me, he's going to take that fear. He's going to take that concern. He's going to remove it. Do you ever notice uh, uh, that when you pray and you go, go before God's presence, that he begins to give you peace for the thing that you were previously troubled over? Okay? That's why the enemy tries so hard to keep us out of prayer, out of God's presence. Now, I don't mean just spending hours in prayer. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about moments. Because you're, really, your life, your day is made up of seconds and moments, right? You can pray in just a moment of prayer, and you're talking to the Lord. That's what's important. It's not so much the length of your prayer. It's the faith in the prayer that you pray right now. You can pray in faith, praying for 30 seconds or 20 seconds, and get serious results as a result of it. But the enemy tries to put pressure on us so we don't pray about it. Instead, we worry about it. Okay? But he says, don't worry about anything. I'll read it again. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Okay? All right. One more scripture, and we'll close. Matthew chapter 6, in the NLT again, Matthew chapter 6. Now, these, uh, these verses of scripture that I'm sharing with you today are probably the top ones, not an exhaustive study or exhaustive uh, scriptures, but these are the ones, I think, the main scriptures that deal with fear and worry and so forth that uh, we're familiar with. All right, uh, verse 24 in the NLT, it says, Matthew, this is Jesus talking here, it says, No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one or love the other. You will be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved with money or to money. In other words, money makes a poor God, right? We're to trust in the Lord. Verse 25 says, This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food into barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them, 
aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Question mark. The answer is no. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? Do not worry about these things saying, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear? After these things, these things dominate, notice this, these things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers. That's important. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs, but seek first God's kingdom and above all else his righteousness, and he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Can I have an amen? Now, I wanted to read that. I think it's real clear in the NLT, the New Living Translation. But, uh, you know, uh, in the King James, he uh, uses this phrase, which we've taught many, many times. Jesus said, take no thought, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? In other words, you take a thought by saying. He said, take no thought, saying. Well, look at it like this. What if you take the right thoughts and you say them? Is it dangerous to take the wrong thoughts and say them? Elsewise, why would Jesus say that? Take no thought saying. If that wasn't a big deal, then Jesus wouldn't have said it. Take no thought saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? So there has to be some kind of result for that in a negative way. Take no thought saying. So that tells me this. Thoughts are going to come to every person, every man, woman, boy, and girl, Christian, non-Christian alike. Every person is going to have thoughts. Thoughts are spiritual. They're spiritual. Anybody here ever had a bad thought before? Here you are, Christian, born again, spirit-filled, love God with all your heart, and you get a bad thought that comes to you? Am I the only person? I could raise both hands and both feet. Wouldn't that be something to see? <laughs> Amen? Just because you have a bad thought or a negative thought or a fear-filled thought doesn't mean it's your thought. So first of all, first and foremost, don't feel guilty for thoughts that are not originating from you. Okay? Well, you've heard this example. You could walk out here right now. We could dismiss out here and walk out here and you see birds flying. But they're above you. You have no control over that. But if one of those ravens or whatever, you know, one of those birds landed on you, on your head, and tried to, like, make a nest there, well, you certainly have control over that. In fact, you wouldn't, you wouldn't just look up and say, what's he doing up there? You would be like, ah, get him up. You know what I'm saying, right? You have control over that. But you don't, for, <laughs> you don't have any control whether that bird's, whatever type of bird it is, flying over your head. Mm -hmm. Amen? 
yesterday I was driving somewhere, you know, and I was on this back road, you know, <laughs> and I was doing some praying and stuff, you know, and uh, I saw three or four turkeys come in for a landing. And there's no grace for them. To, I'm like, when they're flying and landing, it's like a DC bomber coming in for a landing, and they're hitting branches, and things are flying everywhere. You know, <laughs> you know they're coming down. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you know, but the thing of the, the fact of the matter is, like the, the phrase, you can't keep birds from flying over your head any more than you can, you know, like thoughts can coming to you. But you can help them if they were to roost on your head and build a nest, then you have control over that. So don't be weirded out by the fact that you're a believer and you have a negative thought comes to you. You know, they can come daily to you, right? This ain't going to work. You're not holy enough. You're not right. You're not living the, the way you should or this or that. You know, negative thoughts. That's never going to, that son or that daughter, they're never going to change. That body's not going to be healed. Those are thoughts. They're real thoughts. But where are they spawning from? Where are they coming from? This is great news today. This is a great message today because it's the message of Jesus, right? And, and what are we going to do with those negative thoughts? Well, we have a choice, don't we? You can't come, you can't help who knocks on your door. But you do have power who you invite in and entertain. So I'm saying all that to say this, bad, negative thoughts. Actually, it's a compliment because if you're getting bad thoughts, you're probably doing the right thing. Right? You see, the Bible says Satan was more cunning than any beast in the field, you know? And I believe, you know, you can't prove me wrong, but I believe that even when Jesus Christ was tempted, you know, in the wilderness... I don't know necessarily that the devil appeared to him. He was tempted in every point like as we, would, yet without sin. I have never had the devil appear to me and tempt me. Have you? Anybody here? If he did, you'd be like, that's the devil. I'm staying away from him. But he comes in a more subtle way. The scripture even tells us in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. The way he takes advantage of us is we're ignorant of his devices. What are his devices? Thoughts. Thoughts. Negative thoughts. How do you know if devil, if demons are talking to you as a believer? That doesn't make you possessed at all. Was Jesus possessed? No. He had the Holy Ghost in him, right? But he had thoughts come to him. If you're really the Son of God, getting him to question, turn those stones into bread. Right? And the devil just brings those kinds of thoughts. He's very cunning and very crafty. And he'll say, well, if you're really a believer, then that would have happened by now. And the devil always has you looking at your clock or your calendar. Why hasn't things happened yet? Why hasn't that happened yet? You've been believing God. Why don't you just give up? Throw the towel in as they use in boxing terms. That means you quit. What's quitting going to do? Is it going to help you? The Spirit of God spoke to me years ago, and he said, every person that you read about in the Bible that accomplished anything was tempted to give up and quit. Every person that we read about in our Bibles that we know about 
that we read about was first tempted to give up and quit. But we know them because they didn't quit and they didn't give up. What would David be without a Goliath? What would Moses be without a Pharaoh? It was their tenacity to overcome those things that we understand in the Bible like, wow, Moses, David, and all the others. I could go on and on. And it was their obstacles that came against them that they overcame that now we recognize and we read about them right here. Okay? So just because you have bad thoughts is probably a good indication that you're in the right spot. You're where you should be. Amen? Hallelujah. When I, uh, um, I'll close with this. When I had uh, on one occasion many years ago now, it's amazing how years just go by like that, you know. When I had that golf, golf ball size growth on my, my left wrist right here where the watch is, you know, I'd prayed, done everything I know to do, you know, make it real quick. Nothing seemed to happen. Nothing seemed to be changing. And as I was going about, the devil kept putting thoughts in my mind. You don't have enough faith. See, you spoke to that. It didn't be, it wasn't removed. Right? You don't have enough faith. You didn't pray long enough. I'm getting all these thoughts coming to me. Well, I'd spoken to it. I prayed. I trusted the Lord to get rid of this thing. This golf ball size growth on my left wrist right here where that watch face is. I couldn't even wear a watch there. Okay? And that's why I wear my watch on my left hand because I'm right-handed. Okay? And so I would wear long sleeves to pull it down over it because it wasn't really pleasant to look at. Well, time went on. Weeks went by. Month went by. Two months went by. No change. It seemingly got worse. Okay? And I've had, all, I had these thoughts coming to me, bad, negative thoughts about that situation. I won't go into detail. But the Lord interrupted that mess. And another thought came to me. Another thought came to me. That thought was the Lord. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and he says, do you believe you're healed? I said, yes, I do. He said, well, if I were you, that's in essence, he said, I would start praising. I would start thanking. And he says, not only that, he says, start laughing at it, because you've already claimed it. You've already prayed. Start laughing. Well, the Lord had never told me that before. To my recollection, that's the first time he ever said that to me. Okay? So, I had a choice. Am I going to listen to the lies of the enemy? You don't have it. You don't have enough faith. It's still there. Look, it feels. He always gets you touching and feeling. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of times we need to quit checking our bodies. We need to keep checking the word. <laughs> What's the word of God say, you know? So, I just, you know, I believe that was a thought from the Lord. He said, start laughing, start praising me. He says, you're, you're, don't even pray about it anymore. You got it. He says, start laughing. So I did that. I'm driving down the road. I would look. I would say, ha, 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 And I wasn't laughing because somebody told a funny joke. There was nothing in the natural to laugh about. So I laughed by faith. Ha, 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 Kind of felt stupid doing it. But it's the foolish things of the world that confound the wise. God chooses the foolish things, right? Well, that seemed foolish, but that was the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God was laugh at that. What did the devil want? He wanted me to cry over that. 
okay? I even had another minister who was coming through at that time preaching our church. He said, man, that thing looks big. That wasn't real encouraging. <laughs> he prayed for it too. It still stayed there, you know what I mean? But I had to hear from the Lord. I had to hear from the Lord about it, you know? Every situation's unique in itself, you know? But it's the principles, what I'm sharing with you, that'll work for every person. And I, the Lord's reminded me of that with other situations that I'm facing, even right now, to take that same mental approach, that spiritual approach of laughing, which is so intimidating to the enemy, isn't it? Ha, 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 ha. Well, what are you laughing about? Ha, because you're defeated, devil. You're under my feet, devil. Right? So this went on for some time, you know. And I just said, oh, thank you, Father. You healed me 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Lord. I just began to thank and praise the Lord. Whatever came to my mind, I would just say it, you know. And, uh, but it was still there in the natural. But the Lord, through his wisdom, showed me what, how to respond to that. The right response will get the right results. And if we don't have the right response, we kind of stay back in no man's land, right? We don't want to stay there. Hallelujah. And it took the pressure off me because I couldn't heal myself. I'm not the healer, but Jesus is. And, you know, long story short, you know, we're sitting on a wooden bench that's, that held pretty much four people. You squeeze in there, but in our front yard where we lived at that time, right up the street from where we're at right now. We, had, we were renting a house from a house right up the street. We live down the street from it now. And uh, it was a beautiful summer night. And the four of us, kids were younger. We took a little walk, took the dog on a walk, came back, sat on this bench. It was a beautiful night. Stars were up. The moon was out. And I, we sat on the bench. And I was just, I was like, oh, Lord, thank you for this beautiful night. You know, just beautiful, sunny, warm night. Amen. We'll be there soon. And I just laid my hands, and under my breath, the family didn't know I was doing it. I said, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. I just caught up in thanking him for healing my wrist. Thank you, Father, for removing this growth. And as soon as I, this time when I was doing that, I felt something disappear instantly because my hand was on it. It was like a balloon popped. You'll feel that. I thought, it didn't make a noise, but it was gone. And I'm like, hmm. There is the manifestation of it right there. That sucker's gone. And it was smooth and, and level, <laughs> just like my other wrist. So I told my family, I said, you want to see a miracle right now? That, that the, at that moment, they didn't know what it was. I said, come here, I want to show you a miracle. We went in, turned the, uh, where you walk in, small little four, you walk into our house, turned the light on, I said, look at here. Right? Right, Kelly? You all remember that, don't you? Okay. Was I excited when that happened? Not really. I mean, I, I was thankful. But it was that process. Man, I was fighting the negative thoughts. Oh, bad thoughts. Negative thoughts constantly about that thing. But when I started to act on what Jesus, the Holy Spirit, told me to do, he said two things. Start Every time you think of it, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, praise you, Lord, thank you, Lord, for healing me. Number two, laugh. I didn't feel like laughing. And I wasn't trying to laugh for other people. It was me and God. Okay? Well, evidently, that took care of it. 
And that was many years ago now. Okay, the kids were very young then when that happened. And uh, I'll never stop talking about because I give glory to the Lord. It's not anything, I'm not great in myself. It's the God that we serve that's great. And if we just do what he tells us to do. That's why the enemy has you, tries to get you to shut up when you're going through trials and tests. Don't say anything. Just shut your mouth. Don't say a word. Well, that's partly good, but partly not good. We don't want to say the wrong things, but we want to open our mouth and we want to declare the goodness of God. Thank you, Father. How much faith does it take to give thanks? Anybody can do that. We come in here to church and we start off by praise. Your body sometimes doesn't want to praise and worship. It's just like, come on, let's just get into the message here. Come on. You know. <laughs> but we want to give honor to the Lord. Father, thank you. I praise you. It doesn't take that long. Amen. The Bible says Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he promised he's able also to perform. He was strong in faith, how? Giving glory to God, being fully persuaded. When God promised him the child at his old age, it says he became strong in faith. How? Giving glory to God. In other words, before he saw it, before Sarah became pregnant at their old age, he said, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm the father of many nations. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I praise you. I thank you. He got caught up in that. And then eventually here comes Isaac. <laughs> Amen. So if we, if we get caught up in the right things. Know this. Here's what the Lord's saying right now. Know this. I am faithful and reliable to impart my thoughts to you, saith the Lord. Do not give glory to the enemy. Yes, the enemy will try to speak. Yes, the enemy will throw up a smoke screen. But pay no attention to him. Pay no attention to those negative thoughts. But pay attention to me. Pay attention to my spirit. For I'll put my thought in your heart and in your mind. And when I put those thoughts in your heart and in your mind, release them through your spoken word and it will surely come to pass. For you see, it's my word in your mouth that will bring it to pass, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So pay attention. Pay attention to the voice of of the Holy Spirit, who is eager to speak unto thee. Even at this present hour, I'll speak to you. Those things that you've been concerned about or worried about, allow me to interrupt you. Allow me to input my thoughts in your heart and in your mind. And as you act upon those things and act upon those thoughts, victory will be sure to come to your doorstep, says the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, sir, we'll do that. We'll do that, Lord. Acting on the voice of God. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For it's written in my word in the Old Testament, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. But that's not the case now, saith the Lord. For I'm eager to speak. I'm eager to reveal. And I'm eager to talk to you even now. So allow me to speak unto you. 
it'll seem as though it's you making up those words. It'll seem to you that, did I just make that up? But know this, saith the Lord, I live on the inside of you. And if I live on the inside of you, it will seem as if it's just you. But know this, it's my spirit in you. For if any man be joined to the Lord, my word says you are one spirit with me. It's my spirit and your spirit influencing your thoughts, your mind. So pay attention to that and all will be well, says the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Does that excite you? <laughs> Hallelujah. Does that excite you this morning? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just thank Him before we go here. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we will be a, 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 we will be a megaphone for the thoughts that you're putting on the inside of us, not for the devil, but for you. While others in this world, others in this world system are a megaphone for the devil, we'll be a megaphone for God. And we'll speak and we'll prophesy and we'll decree and we'll declare what thus saith the word is. And that will be sure and steadfast and it will come to pass because it's your word in our mouth, Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You remember the situation where... uh, The Lord appeared to Ezekiel and he said, asked him a question, can these bones live? He saw a valley of dry bones. He said, Lord, you knoweth. (laughs) In other words, Lord, you can do anything, but you know the end result, right? Those dry bones took on flesh and became alive again. And the things that seemed dead, things that seemed beyond repair, that seem beyond resurrection or not beyond any of that. Okay? And he said, prophesy to these bones. In other words, you have to speak to them. Prophesy. Speak. That's how you prophesy. You speak. You speak to your body. That's how you prophesy. I say in the name of Jesus, flesh be healed. You're prophesying to your body. Praise the Lord. You can prophesy to every part of your body. You are the prophet of your own life. Amen. Your words have power. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Time in your presence. Time in your word. For a word in due season is so precious, Father. We thank you for that word today. It will set our course. It will set our sail right now, Lord, for the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow. And we'll hook up with him this week. And we expect you, Lord, even today. We expect you to speak to us individually. Lord, you know each situation that each person is facing right now. Thank you for a word in due season, Lord, that you'll breathe inspiration into the minds of every person here today, Lord. They'll know what to say. Praise the Lord. And Lord, as the wind of the Spirit blows to us and speaks through us, then we're going to see tremendous things take place. Glory be to God.
We thank you that we will not be caught with our mouths closed, but it will be open to speak what you want us to speak, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad I came here today. How about you? I'm glad I'm here. Praise the Lord. I'm excited about this week of what God's going to do. Amen? And, we, of course, we stand. We pray for one another. We pray for each other. And we want you to know we love you. We care for you. We appreciate every single one of you. Hallelujah. And I bless your week this week. And I can't wait to get here next week. Amen. Praise the Lord. Lord bless you, and we'll see you next week.